Hey friends, this is your host, Mindy Duff, and you're listening to Up Level Your Life with Mindy, your number one personal growth podcast that will bring you closer to uncovering your greatest self. As a certified holistic health and nutrition coach, I created this podcast for anyone who desires to improve physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I'll be interviewing experts and sharing tips and tricks that have helped not only my clients, but that have guided me on my own transformational journey. I believe that we all have a greatness that lies within. We just need to uncover it. Are you ready to level up? Then let's begin. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Up Level Your Life with Mindy. I am your host, Mindy Duff, and I have a guest with me today. I'm going to be speaking with Ray Ferrer, and she is a death doula. Not a topic that you run into, you know, on the street every day, not a topic a lot of people want to talk about, but I think it's an um, important topic that um, I wanted to, again, shed some light on. So this is part of a series that I'm doing. And, you know, it doesn't sound very uplifting, but I think that it is. Um, the more the more you hear from some of these people that I've been interviewing, the more uplift, uplifting I think people will realize that this topic of dying really is. Um, so if you have missed it, the previous two episodes, I had featured um, Maggie Callanan, who is the author of Final Journeys and Final Gifts. Um, and she had wonderful things to say about hospice. But Ray, you are a little bit different than hospice being a death doula. So I'm really curious to hear your perspective on things here today. So thank you for being here with me tonight. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And so before we get going in all of this, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Raylene. It's Ray for short. I have, I'm 36 years old. I'm currently 37 weeks pregnant, expecting our first baby being induced on Friday, actually, so exciting. Um, And I've been around death my whole entire life. I've always felt gravitated towards it. I went to my first funeral at five years old. I lost my first friend in kindergarten, and I actually didn't know where he went. So (laughs) I've been around death a lot. So for me, it's just comfortable to talk about and not a lot of people have that comfort to talk about it so yeah yeah I would agree with that 100% and I'm curious um your experience as a child it must have been somewhat positive or you know I think sometimes we have experiences as kids that around death and dying that are scary and adults kind of don't talk about it with us and we just make up these horrible stories in our heads and then we turn into adults that have this fear of death and dying Um, but you do not have that fear of death or dying so I'm curious to know what that experience was like for you as a five-year-old. It was different because I have the intuitive ability to know when someone's going to cross. So originally as a kid, you know how like your mouth just flows and you say everything you want to say. Um, Then I found out a lot of people didn't like hearing what I had to tell them. So I actually retreated back onto the side burner and it wasn't until my late 20s, early mid 30s that I actually came back out 
with my abilities and growing them. So, and then I came across an ad for a doula and it wasn't on purpose, obviously. So I felt the need to strengthen it further. And it's been a fun ride ever since. Let's say it's opening doors. It's talking to people. Um, it's letting them know some information that they didn't know before. And it's making them talk about death and people, like I said, they want to, they're curious. They want to talk about it. Maybe not necessarily know how. And that's where the doula may come in. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I mentioned earlier, right before we got recording that, you know, none of us get out of this alive, like everyone's going to die. So we might as well make it a part of just normal everyday conversation and make it a little bit more comfortable. Um, so it doesn't have to be such a scary thing. Mm-hmm. End of life holds steady at 100%. I'm telling you. So one way or the other, you're getting out not alive. So <laughs> Right. You might as so, well for it. I'm curious to know what led you specifically to doing this work. So you have these intuitive abilities able to kind of tell when people are going to cross and whatnot. Um, but what what was it in your late 20s, early 30s that made you go, hmm, I should be a death doula? Honestly, if you ask people what they're, why they're so uncomfortable about talking about death, and usually it's the fear of it. So with me becoming a doula, it was to reduce that fear by having those conversations. And a lot of people don't know that there can be different types of doulas. So there's the actual end of life doula where you're at the vigil, but there's also elder care doula. So if your client's older and has safety issues, they can be more of a caregiver that way. Whereas hospice will only come in once a week for an hour. So the doula can focus their time solely on that one patient. And then we have more of what I'm drawn to being the care consultants and getting those advanced directives, personal directives, wills and stuff in line, or at least answering questions. Yeah. So, so that leads me to my next question. So what, what is your role as a death doula? So you're saying there's different types, but specifically if somebody calls you up, what are the things that you're going to do to help them? I right now gravitate towards the consulting side. So I will sit down with you and actually go over your advanced directive, what you want. Say if, God forbid, you were in an accident and couldn't talk, I would want to know who you would like to represent you as your voice. Do you want to do, do not resuscitate? Do you want a feeding tube, for instance? So then your family members would know... And they wouldn't have to guess at what you want. And then on the flip side, there's the funeral aspect. So you can actually start writing down what you want. And again, your family won't have to guess and have that burden on them when they're trying to grieve. Yeah, yeah, that's something that I actually have been trying to get my parents to do for a while. And I know they're not listening, but if you are listening and you know my mom and dad, you might ask them about this. Because they're not very, they're, I don't know that they're afraid of it, but it's just unpleasant and who wants to talk about it. But me, I want to talk about it. And I, I know too many funeral directors who have said, 
it is when people come in healthy and people come in with their family members to plan these, it is, it's a lighthearted, fun time. They are telling stories. They are laughing and sharing jokes and, and they're, you know, planning out what they want. When it's not planned out ahead of time and the families comes in and has to start from scratch, they're obvious, they said it takes more than twice as long to get it done because the family is, you know, they're grieving, they're upset. They don't know. It's hard to make decisions because well, what if they didn't want this or this half of the family thinks it should be this, but the other half of the family thinks it should be that. So when you have it all planned out and written down, that's really such a gift to your loved ones that you're leaving behind. So this sounds very similar to that. Yeah. And that's what I was looking for because I, even within my family, have seen that family tension on one of the daughters thought she wanted this and the other ones thought she wanted that. And they don't talk over it. So it's really sad. Mm -hmm. And I have actually read about other families that have gone to court because of it too. So yeah, the more we can prep a person for what they want and get it out there to their family what they want, the more time they will have with them when that time comes to actually reminisce and think about all the memories they had together and then sort through their grief instead yeah. of wondering what they wanted and choosing this and choosing that, you know? And yeah. I was very forward with that and that's what drew me to that consulting type of work yeah yeah I think that's it's just such important work that you're doing so I have a question now um, and again recognizing the fact that you're saying there's different types of death doulas that are going to do different things but when is the best time for somebody to call in a death doula it really depends on the situation and the service that you need so Somebody like us who's perfectly healthy, or I assume perfectly healthy, you may want to start your consulting work. So, okay, here's what I want. If this happens to me, here's who's going to be my voice. This is what I want if um, I need a feeding tube or not. Here's what my funeral is going to look like. And you can change it at any time, like through through the years. But at least you have that set up. Whereas you might get a, a totally different patient that just got diagnosed with a terminally ill disease. Then you might be working with, okay, maybe they have some of their consulting stuff done. Or want to work on it ASAP, right? <laughs> Um, but you have to meet them where they are because typically with those types, the shock is just so unreal that you could have denial, you could have withdrawal and there's those types. And then you may just have the older elders that maybe just lost their spouse and they're now living alone, which in itself is a safety hazard if they're older, right? So they might need that check-in care. So, for instance, where I'm from in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada, lots of snow in the winter. So, God forbid, they're out shoveling and they fall. Well, some of this roll 
of the doula could be shoveling, doing their dishes, helping them with their day-to-day tasks so that they minimize hurting themselves and even having conversations if they don't have any family or friends because they need that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, such great, great. It's a very wide scope of things that, I mean, you think of a death doula as someone that's just going to come in and just hold your hand till you die, I guess, is kind of the <laughs> the image, you know, just like there's birth doulas that are there to help the mom during labor. Um, but it's really, it's so much more than that, more than... We can be there for the vigil period, absolutely. But there's just such a wide scope of what the doula can do for an elder or even like healthy people. Yeah. To prepare. And it's just what drew me to the work was helping people and getting yeah. set up and minimizing that trauma that's going to be escalated if nothing's prepared, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you've mentioned this a little bit, and I'm just curious on your perspective here. Um, if you have, have an opinion, I feel like you will. <laughs> so you mentioned um, for someone like, like you or I, who is relatively healthy and we could, you know, set up our kind of our directives right now, if we wanted to, and setting up that person, that's going to be the spokesperson for you. Now, is there a certain person or type of person that you recommend for this? Because I will tell you right now that I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I'll just have my husband be the one in charge that can say whether to pull the plug or not. But is that always the best idea? Not necessarily. It honestly depends on the comfort level of your spouse or loved one. If they're not comfortable with it, I wouldn't really recommend them being it. You can absolutely have like a close friend do it for you. But you want to make sure before choosing someone that you have that conversation with them and make sure that if the doctor is saying one thing that they advocate for you that you wanted something else. Keep in mind that the doctor probably has the last day because they can override your wishes if they feel that medically um, it's best for you to do what they want. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, if the person isn't comfortable doing it, it's not a high chance that they're going to want to advocate for you and be your voice when you need yeah. it most. Yeah. Yeah. You would need to have a person that was going to be very strong and, and not emotional about the decision. I mean, they're going to obviously, if they're close to you, be emotional about the situation, but to be able to carry forth those wishes. And I don't know, you know, for my, my very closest loved ones, I don't think I, I don't know if I could do it depending on who they are and what their wishes were. Um, but then other people I'm a little bit more removed from, if that's what they wanted, sure, I can step in and say that. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's not something that we we just think, oh, you're very most closest loved one. That's the one that's going to make the decisions. But that, and sometimes it probably can work that way, but boy, not always. <laughs> no, not at all. There's a lot of people that aren't comfortable with it. And honestly, that's not really who you want to be your voice either. Yeah. You'll definitely want to have some conversations just to feel out who your people are. (laughs) Yeah. So So now I'm curious, 
to hear your perspective on the difference between your role versus like a traditional hospice. Now, obviously, hospice nurses are going to come in and do things on like the medical side, which I'm sure, you know, you're not doing, you know, you're not giving drugs and things like that necessarily. Um, but how, what is different between your role as a death doula and, and hospice care? Well, at home specifically, um, you, you're absolutely right. A doula cannot be a medical person, but they care for the, the person and their family on a holistic level. So that means physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, you can also recommend suggestions for optimum comfort as the body is declining. Um, and the biggest difference between the two is the doula can focus on that one client for multiple hours in a day, whereas hospice might only be able to come in, say, an hour a week. Yeah. Yeah. And I will, um, for those of you that have listened to the previous two podcasts with Maggie Callanan, again, she is, um, she won't let me say retired because she says hospice nurses, nurses never retire, but you know, she was there when hospice got started and it was very personalized. And, um, I don't think this came through on those podcast episodes, but now hospice has become more privatized is my understanding. She and I have had this conversation, um, I think privately, and and you're not necessarily back in the day hospice you would get maybe here's your hospice nurse and that is your one nurse and she's the one that's going to be there all the time and now it's that's not always the case um it's just going to depend on where you are in the world where you are in the world and what company is closest to you that's providing that hospice care and and they might be limited like you say on their hours you might only get them you know, once for an hour a week, or maybe you get them, you know, more often, it's definitely depends on where you're geographically located and that particular um, business, because hospice has become a business now, like it or not. Um, and I know that, you know, in Maggie's words, she said is, if that's what it takes to keep hospice surviving, that it had to become privatized, then I guess, good, at least it's still a thing. But that I think is so um, one of one of the nice things about this having a death doula is you're having that's your person. You're not having 20 different people in and out of your room or house constantly. This is your raise your person. She's your person that's going to come in. She's going to be familiar with you. She's going to get to know you, get to know your family, and you're going to feel like she's part of your team um, and looking out for your your best interests. So I think that is such a, an asset. And it is because unfortunately, as a society, we've actually taken the death and dying process to more of a medical um, state of mind anyway. So with the doula and the more holistic approaches, we're actually starting to go back to focusing on our elderly and our dying. Yeah, not necessarily just elderly, but our dying. And making that transition process as peaceful as possible for them. Yeah. Yeah, which is wonderful because death is so, it's as natural as birth. 
And I think we tend to medicalize birth a lot as well. And, you know, I can see both sides of the coin on that with birth because, you know, you're getting ready to do this yourself not too long from now, just a few days. Um, I wish you the best of luck with that. But, you know, being in a medical facility in a hospital or whatnot when you're having a baby, maybe not a bad idea because if something were to go wrong, people are there right away to help fix that. Um, but that's pretty recent in human history that we've had that capability to even have this medical technology. Um, and I will say, you know, having being a person that has birthed two in a hospital and one accidentally not in a hospital, that's a story for another day. <laughs> there actually is a podcast episode about that. If you're curious, it's not on my podcast. It's on um, the Golden Birth Hour, but um, where I share that story. But it is so natural. And that took me, you know, having a completely natural birth to realize, oh, well, I guess my I'm not doing anything here. My body is just kind of taking over because it knows what to do. And death is the same. Um, we we didn't know how to be born. We don't necessarily know how to die, but it's not a conscious thing that you have to like try try to do it right. Your body is just you're just going to to do that. So um it's it's very natural. And I like that, you know, you're kind of bringing that natural aspect back to the dying and not such a medically, it's not a problem. It's just is. Absolutely nothing against hospitals or being medically treated because there are those that have those issues that do need medical attention. But at the end of the day, it does come down to quality of life versus quantity, right? So if you have a cancer patient, for example, who's terminally ill and is in the higher stages, I guarantee you that they'd rather stay home and live out the rest of their days with their family happily instead of going through chemo and maybe a tiny chance beating it. But then what if they go through it? And it doesn't do anything anyway. Yeah. So then I I know me personally, I would rather stay at home, enjoy the last times with my family, friends, make all the memories, do the things I want to do instead of going to a hospital like three times a week for chemo or yeah, I'm not sure how many times, but you get the picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. Make the most of the time that you have rather than, you know, fighting against everything. Um, So what are some things that you wish that everyone knew about dying? Um, I'm a big advocate for planning. And the one reason why is because of unfinished business. Mm. Because we see a lot of people who are in that transition phase, going from their body outside, And they're hanging on because they have unfinished business. And it's usually about forgiveness and situations with close family or loved ones. And because that unfinished business isn't unsettled or remains unsettled, um, they stay. And it's unfortunate because maybe it's they're waiting for that person to forgive them or maybe they're waiting to say that they forgive them in return um it could be as little as them waiting for a date to pass as well mm-hmm. so like 
say if their birthday is two days away and they're baffling healthcare professionals at this point, why are they still alive? <laughs> right. And consciously, they know their birthday is, say, two days away. They may wait. They may wait to talk to a certain someone that they haven't seen in a while. Yeah. Um, I've heard of also um, almost like they don't want to ruin like a holiday. So they don't want to die on Christmas. So they kind of hang on so that the family doesn't always remember that, oh, Christmas Day is the day grandma died. Well, they'll remember that time, but then grandma didn't actually die till, you know, three days later she hung on so she'd miss it. That too. And another big one is we tend to overwhelm the dying by always being in the room with them. Mm-hmm. And in essence, the person dying doesn't want you to remember them, how they look on their deathbed. So that's why a lot of times they will actually wait till everyone leaves the room so that they can pass. Because then you don't have that picture of them passing if it looks bad. It doesn't always look bad, but there are signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can just remember them how they were. Yeah. Yeah. Just to give give the family that one last gift of, like, maybe you don't need to notice the very second that I go. <laughs> right? And death is the leading cause of fear in the world, but it's such a natural process. Yeah. And, like, prepping for it and just having those conversations even makes it so much more at peace that they can transition so much easier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Ray, what is one, actually, before I ask you that, do you have any tips for caregivers or terminally ill loved ones? Um, I know it's not something that anyone plans on going through, but statistically, many of us will have to become caregivers of loved ones with terminal illness. Um, and it's not always an easy thing, but I'm curious to hear what your tips are. So there's actually three phases in the dying process. One is the shock phase. And with terminally ill, that shock is very high because you're just being told that you no longer have control of your life, in essence, right? Yeah. So a lot of people forget that this shock can lead into depression, denial, withdrawal, anger even. Um, so it's important to be a strong presence and supportive and a good listener. So even as little as asking asking them, what can I do for you? So it gives them that control back to feel that they're in control of at least something right now. And that's when they need it most to feel in control because when they get that diagnosis, they're going to feel like their whole world came upside down. Yeah. Um, The other thing would be looking for immediate uh, issues that would need to be addressed. So safety, pain, um, exhaustion from their disease. I would also probably recommend looking up their specific disease. Everyone's different as to 
how they go through the disease. But the way the body shuts down is fairly similar. Everyone goes through the same type of steps, but not everyone goes through the exact steps. <laughs> Just being there as a mental support and someone to talk to and talk out how they're feeling, I think, is the biggest thing that we can actually do for ter the terminally ill, especially when they just find out. Yeah, such a, a tough thing to hear, but um, but really can be a gift if you can, you know, I wouldn't expect everyone receiving a terminal illness to immediately see it as a gift because you, you know, you want to keep on living. But in terms of dying, the terminal illness really is the gift because you're given that gift of time, the gift to say goodbyes and the gift to do things on your own terms. So, um, yeah, but still tough for everybody all around for sure. So Ray, what is one final takeaway that you hope everyone listening to this gains? Um, prep, prep, prep. The more you can prep and have those conversations, um, the better off you're going to be uh, and give that gift to your loved one. Um, I'm starting my own business shortly and it's um, soaring souls. And my mantra is going to be getting comfortable with the uncomfortable because a hundred percent like have those uncomfortable conversations because you may not like doing it, but in the long run, it'll be, way easier to optimize and yes. have your loved one go in a peaceful frame of mind that they're leaving their loved ones in a state that is best and not knowing like they'll know what they want so they're not guessing yeah and there's little to no unfinished business left behind yeah yeah, it really, it really is such a gift. And I know it's so tempting to think, oh, I'll do that later, or I'll do that when I'm old, or I'll, do, you know, but even if you're, if you're over 18, even if you're under 18 and listening, you can still like express your wishes to your parents or caregivers. Um, everyone can, if you're alive and can listen to this, you can, you have opinions on what you would like and what you wouldn't like. And maybe, maybe you don't, jot every single thing down maybe you don't plan out the entire funeral and pick all the songs and who's going to speak or do all that but at least you know the important things or tell somebody that this this is what's important to me I don't care about the rest of it you can do whatever you want you can sing whatever songs you want I don't care I won't be here I don't <laughs> that's for you you do, you pick that but if it's up to me I want you know I want to I, I want to do not resuscitate I want uh you know whatever whatever it is that you want I want to be an organ donor if I can or all those things um but do it now it's not it's just like Nobody wants to go sit down with their insurance agent and talk about life insurance either, but that's something that we just all go do because it's a good idea to go do it. Well, this is something that's also just kind of part of being a responsible adult and just kind of planning ahead because, again, it's such a gift for the loved ones. The other thing about planning, too, is to minimize that um, hump, I guess, um, is passwords. Like, nobody thinks about internet passwords or banking yeah. information and I just see a lot of people just go through hardship trying to get all this stuff sorted out whereas if we were left the passwords and maybe 
even having our name on that bank account at the end of the day, it would be so much easier to just sort out. Yeah. Yeah. And like the more prep equals the more positive death experience. And that's what I'm all about. Yeah. And just opening the eyes of people to be accepted about even having the conversation because as a society, we're actually growing on the options that are available out there for us. Like you talk to people and a lot of, especially the older kind of religious people think that their body disposition is just burial or cremation. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot more choices out there (laughs) and not a lot of them know that. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing something once about how you could be, I don't know, like buried with a tree or part of a tree, the roots, so that like as that tree grows, like your your body essentially kind of is fertilizing it. And so you, in essence, quasi become the tree. I mean, what a cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually in the States, they have a place called Recompose. And they put your body in a vessel and with wood chips and a little bit of heat. And it actually turns your body into soil. Oh, wow. So your loved one can take you home as soil and plant you as a flower bed or flower garden or visit you every day. Yeah. I mean, some people wouldn't like that, but there's others that, that would be drawn to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the moral of the story is there are a lot of choices out there because, I mean, there's so many different types of people out there. So, of course, we've got all kinds of different choices. There's no reason why the dying process is any different than everything else in terms of of choices and how the experience could go. But if we keep it in the closet and we don't talk about it, you know, you're never going to know. So I think that having people like you on, Ray, um, I'm appreciative of the work that you're doing and helping kind of spread this word of, you know, the dying process. We're all going to go through it one way or another. And why not talk about it? Let's talk about it. Let's plan about it just like you plan anything else and make it what you want. And if you're having any trouble talking about it, there's actually uh, decks you can buy. And there's one that I have. It's actually called a death deck. And it'll have questions on there that instigate the conversation so you don't have to. And it gives you choices. Like, um, if you were dying right now, what smell would you want in the room? A, candles, B, um, essential oils, or C, I don't know, nothing. Or maybe your favorite baked good or food. It's just something like that that not everyone is thinking about yeah but it's great yeah and it's like a card game essentially i was gonna say a little bit morbid on the morbid side but it helps you to divulge that information that may not have been divulged otherwise yeah yeah just to kind of get that conversation started yeah oh i like that of course, there's a deck for it. There's a deck for it. <laughs> there's a deck for everything. Well, Ray, thank you so much for being on today. Um, if people want to know a little bit more about you, um, is there a place where they can go and, and find more about you or about being a death doula? Um, there's 
the course that I took is Doula Givers uh, International. Um, there's some other great resources that is the Death Doula Network of BC, which has doulas from all over Canada. Um, my personal um, Facebook is Bray O'Farrer. I am kind of going to be on that leave soon. So <laughs> I'm setting up a Facebook group called Soaring Souls. That's where I'll be. But bear with me because I'll have a little one here soon that's going to be taking some of my time. But <laughs> any questions you may have, shoot me a message and I'll get back to you when I can. Yeah. yeah and I will, of course, um, put those links in the show notes so that everybody can find you easily. Um, Ray, best of luck at the end of this week with baby that's coming. Super excited to see how that whole process unfolds for you. I know it's going to go wonderfully. You'll be blessed with your little bundle. So excited. I'm actually just excited to see the pictures, but that's okay. (laughs) Love the new baby pictures. And again, thank you for being on today. Thank you so much for having me and just getting the chance to voice what people need to hear more and about the prep work so that they can make their lives a little bit easier. Yeah. And let's make this world a little, a little more death positive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone that's listening today, I hope that you gained a little bit from this conversation. Um, If nothing else, I hope it got some wheels turning in your own brain in terms of prep work and the own your own death process. Um, Again, nobody's getting out alive, so we might as well think about it a little bit. And wherever you are at, I hope you are having a fantastic day and I will catch you on the next one. That's it for today, friends. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe or even better, leave a review and let me know what resonated with you the most. The more you tell me what you love, the better I'm able to create future episodes with even better content. I'm sending you so much love and light. I'll see you in the next episode.